this week as I was preparing for uh, the sermon, I had some memories pop back into my head that seemed like they came out of nowhere at first. I'm like, what does this have to do with my, my sermon preparation? But the, the memory was of my locker in high school, um, and I hadn't thought about this in forever, but um, it was bright orange. I think my locker number was 150, and I even think my combination popped into my head. Like, I really want to go back to my high school now to see if I got the right combination. Like, why am I remembering this at all? What does this have to do with my sermon prep? But I remember my locker, and I, I remember that it was just down the hall from the guidance counselor's office. Um, it was kind of right off the main commons area, and the guidance counselor's office was just a couple feet down the hall from where my locker was. And because of that, there was all these inspirational, encouraging posters and announcements and all those types of things. You know what I'm talking about? The, the things that are on, I don't know if they still put them in schools or not, but it was all these inspirational ones. And there's one that was close to my locker that, that just in very fancy, bright, colorful um, like fonts and designs said, you miss school, dot, 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 you miss out. Right? And that became kind of a running joke for some of us. For whatever reason, in high school, we thought that was funny to, to talk about like, you know, if you miss school, you miss out. Like, whenever something dumb happened, it's like, oh, good thing we were here, because... Anyways, so it's, like, back in my brain, and it came forward today for whatever reason, um, this idea that when you miss school, you miss out. Um, and it got me thinking about uh, kind of where we are right now. Um, you know, as a, as a parent of three kids um, at various age levels, um, school has kind of gone on this year, right? Like, they haven't missed school, they haven't shut it down, like they've been going to school all year. Um, you know, because of technology and remote learning and, and the adaptive nature of teachers and, and technology and all of that, like, there's still lessons, assignments, tests, quizzes, grades, uh, projects, all the things that we think about being the goal of school. Yet, if you were looking and paying attention, you realize that something's still missing, right? It's not the same. Um, and that's something that is missing has made it really hard this year. If, you, if you're a parent or a grandparent or you work in a school, you know that it's, it's not the same this year. It's harder. It's different. And so teachers and students have struggled a tremendous amount this year. And I talk about school, I bring it up because it is just one example in the way that the world has revealed itself a little bit differently over the last year or so, in which we're living not in a black and white type of thing, but more in a gray area, like... <laughs> You know, back in the day, if you went to school, you were at school, and if you weren't at school, you weren't at school, but now you're at home at school, and you're at sc- it gets very messy fast these days. Same thing with work. You used to go to work, and then you'd come home, and that would be not at work, but now a lot of people are working from home, and it's just, it's messy. It's different, right? Um, many of us have learned this past year what others that have been homebound for a while, for various reasons, have known all along. And that's being isolated, not being in person with other people, uh, is hard. By nature, we're relational people. We're relational creatures, right? And, and being separated and isolated from one another is hard. It actually can be harmful to us. And so one of the things that the, the church did, and you guys started this long before I got here, was a, this idea of a driving ministry, right? Like, we're just going to drive, get a group of people from the church together, and go to visit everybody that we have on our roster, <laughs> on our membership role and beyond, and we're going to go visit them. And we take a Saturday and, and just go and visit them so people aren't feeling isolated and alone. It was the best that we could come up with 
given the circumstances, right? And, and it's been a wonderful thing. It's, it's something that has continued on almost on a monthly basis for, for a year now. Um, and this is a little bit of an announcement or maybe a little bit of a commercial that I don't usually stick into the intro of a sermon, but the driving ministry is going to convert, um, be morphed into a more uh, targeted thing going forward. And so um, I'm actually asked those who had given leadership to it if I could kind of point it in a new direction. And, uh, and they said, yeah, sure. And uh, so we're going to do, the driving ministry is going to become outbound communion, um, where we're going to, our goal is not to visit as many people, because a lot of people are here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, but to find people that really need that visit and spend more time with them, and also to bring some of church to them since they can't get to here. And so if you're interested, this is the commercial portion, if you're interested in, in going and visiting people and maybe even sharing communion with them. So like the first Sunday of every month we share communion. Um, if you'd like to be part of a team that goes and shares some scripture verses or maybe goes and shares communion with somebody, let me know. Uh, more details will come, but be thinking about that, be praying about that. Um, how we can bring church to people that can't get here. Anyways, that'll end the commercial, right? But, um, but we've we realized over the last year that being isolated, being apart from the family, being apart from your friends, being apart from your coworkers, being apart from your church family is hard. And during this sermon series, this Belong, Believe, Beloved, this after Easter series, where we're looking at relationships, primarily the relationship that we have with Jesus, but the belong part, that we belong not only to Jesus, but to the people that Jesus has gathered together, we're kind of honing in on this, this idea that says, because of Jesus' love for us, he invites us into his life, where we belong to him and can believe in him. So last week we explored how many came to recognize, how Mary came, not how many, but how Mary came to recognize the resurrected Jesus when he called her by name. This week we're looking at how belonging to a community of believers or being part of a group of Jesus followers helps us. Gives us eyes to see what the resurrected Jesus is up to and to believe in him. Right? Not only to see Jesus, but to declare as the main character of our scripture story today declares, my Lord and my God. And so this week, we're looking at a story in which our main character, Thomas, is not present with a gathered group of followers. And then we look at what happens, we fast forward a little bit, and we look at what happens when he is part of the gathered group of followers. Okay? So we're setting up this, this contrast. There's one day he's not with them, and another day he is with them. Okay? And that's kind of the framework we're going to be looking at. Um, And so the story is told in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Um, I think we've heard that already today. Give me a second. You got it? What's that? That's first John. That was what uh, Brenda read. Do we have in my slides? We'll go ahead here in a second if they don't have it. Should have just been the next slide right after the 
There it is. All right, so remembering everything I just said a moment ago about Thomas and the two different days, right? So John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hands into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in the scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. It's the word of God for the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful graciously uh, receiving your word this morning. We are grateful that your word continues to speak to us, not words on a page, but your word which became flesh and dwelt among us. Father, we are gathered together as people that you have gathered. We are proclaiming and sharing the word that you have given us to proclaim and to share. And so we cling to your promise. We find our identity in you. We are your people. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Amen. So as we get started trying to figure out what's going on here, I thought it'd be helpful to start with what's familiar, right? So if you were to describe this story or refer to the story, it's often been referred to as the story of doubting Thomas, right? Like that's, that's the story. It might even be in your Bible. Um, <laughs> Right? It might be in the, even in the heading of your Bible, this is Doubting Thomas, or in commentary, or you know, whatever, Sunday school stuff. It might say, this is the story of Doubting Thomas. But I'm not convinced that that's necessarily fair to label Thomas, through all of Christian history, <laughs> as Doubting Thomas. He didn't experience the same things that the other disciples experienced that first Sunday. Right? The scripture said it, they were gathered together that first day, so that was the, like the evening that continued from Easter Sunday. And they were gathered together, and, and he wasn't there, and so he didn't experience the same thing that they experienced. And, and if you are um, a diehard Nazarene or uh, one of these holiness um, legacy people, um, you might 
understand that John Wesley is one of our theological forefathers. Everybody know who John Wesley is? Have you heard of John Wesley? Um, kind of kicked off the Methodist movement. And, and anyways, um, one of the things that he, he wrote about, well, he wrote about a lot of things, um, but is ascribed to him is called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Now we're getting into Bible class. Um, Brenda remembers, right? Yeah. Uh, the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And it was four ways that Wesley identified that we can understand what's going on with God, which we can uh, interpret God in our lives. Um, and the quadrilateral, I'm going to stop saying that because I have a hard time saying it. There's four parts to it, which is where the quad part comes from. Scripture is one, so scripture is a way you can understand what God is up to. Reason is another, like you can think through it and you can think about it and understand what God's doing. Tradition is another way in which God's work in the world is revealed to us. But the fourth one is experience. So I said all of that just to point to the fact that as, as good Wesleyan people... <laughs> We're not afraid of experience and the importance of experience uh, with Jesus. It's not to be discounted. For some uh, religious traditions, we want to throw experience out the window and say, oh, that's just your interpretation of things. It, it doesn't reveal God. It's just, you know. But as good Wesleyan folks, um, experience is not to be discounted. It's actually a primary guide for me as a pastor. And what I mean by that is I have a desire for you all, for all of us together, to participate in practices that allow us to experience Jesus for ourselves, right? Um, and those practices are probably going to be familiar to you because I've been, I obviously didn't make these up, but I've been kind of banging on them the last several weeks and months. But they are worship and discipleship and service and prayer and hospitality and generosity. These are experiences or practices that will allow you to experience Jesus in your life. Um, but back to Downing Thomas, right? Like he gets labeled as doubting because he didn't have that same experience that the disciples had. But doubt because of a lack of experience is not as bad as some make it out to be. You can still be obedient to Jesus while not feeling confident that you understand everything that's going on. Right? So the goal of Christianity is not certainty, but faith. Faith being trust. Faith being allegiance. Faith being obedience to Jesus. So for example, and this is kind of a big one, but for example, you can love your enemy because Jesus tells us to and not at the same time and not understand how all that's going to work out. Right? I'm going to love my enemy and not understand how God's going to work in that situation, but I'm going to do it anyways. I might doubt that loving this person that means harm to me is going to help the situation, but I'm going to do it because King Jesus told me to. And so obedience, faith, and doubt are not mutually exclusive. You can walk in faith and still be like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't see how this is going to work, but I'm going to do it because Jesus told me to. Right? Um, Anyways, moving on. The disciples say, I have seen the Lord. And Thomas doesn't believe them. Right? He says, give me evidence. Give me proof. I want to see it myself. I want to touch Jesus myself. I don't believe you. They said, I have seen the Lord. And Thomas doesn't believe. Last week's sermon text ended with Mary telling the disciples, I have seen the Lord. It was actually the title of the sermon for last week. And yet, these disciples were, in the evening, 
locked up in this room afraid of what the Jewish authorities were going to do to them. So would it be a fair assessment, I mean it's a bit of a conclusion to draw here, but would it be a fair assessment that all the disciples were doubting when they heard Mary's message? So it feels a little, again I'm just standing up for Thomas, it feels a little disingenuous to call him doubting Thomas when he didn't do anything different than what they did. Because when did they start to believe Mary's message? (laughs) When Jesus appeared to them and they experienced Jesus themselves. So Thomas wasn't there and didn't experience Jesus appearing in that locked room like everyone else did on that first Sunday. And not only did he not see Jesus, so struggled to believe, but he missed out on Jesus breathing into them the Holy Spirit, which is a big deal. Um, Jesus gave the disciples the authority to forgive sins, And he sent them out into the world as apostles with a mission, right? All that happened that first Sunday, and Thomas wasn't there. So where was Thomas while the other disciples had themselves locked in that room? Where was he? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Um, I'd like to think that maybe he was out trying to be faithful to what Jesus taught them to do. Maybe he was out trying to heal sick people or care for poor people. I I don't know. I I think that because there's a story um, prior to the crucifixion where Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is is sick and dying and help has been sent. Like They called Jesus for help. And the other disciples don't want to go to help because the last time Jesus was in that area, he was threatened and chased off by, by people that were trying to hurt him or kill him. And so the group of disciples said, I don't want to go back there where Jesus is thinking of going because it's going to be bad for us. But it was Thomas who said, let's all go so we can die with him. <laughs> so there's some boldness to Thomas, and I don't think doubting, I mean, this seems like a pretty high level of trust. Maybe he's just being really sarcastic, I don't know. Um, that's possible too. But he seems kind of this bold type while everybody else is locked in the room, maybe he's out like, let's go do what Jesus said so we can all die with him. It seems to be a theme, right? Um, but honestly, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about doubting Thomas. I would much rather today talk about confessing Thomas, proclaiming Thomas, committed Thomas, the Thomas that declares, my Lord and my God. Our scripture story today takes place on two separate Sundays. Uh, the translation that we read from today uh, said there was eight days apart, and that's just a way of saying it was a week apart. So don't get too caught up on that. It wasn't like Monday. Um, don't get caught up on the eight days thing. It was a week apart. On the first Sunday, Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room. And on that day, Thomas doesn't confess faith in Jesus. On the second Sunday, Jesus appears to the disciples in a locked room. And Thomas does confess faith. In Jesus. So what was different when Jesus appeared on the second Sunday that allowed Thomas to confess his faith that day compared to when Jesus appeared on the first Sunday and Thomas did not confess his faith in Jesus? Right? And, and that's a wordy question, but it's not meant to be a trick question. What was different between the two Sundays that allowed Thomas on the second one to say, my Lord and my God? It's not a trick question. I'm actually looking for the obvious answer. And the obvious answer is that the first Sunday, Thomas wasn't there. The second Sunday, Thomas was there and in turn confessed 
my Lord and my God. When Jesus appeared to those disciples who were gathered on that second Sunday, Thomas was with the gathering of disciples. He personally experienced the presence of the resurrected Jesus and then confessed faith in him. This is the part of the scripture text that reminded me of that poster in my high school near my locker that said, you miss school, you miss out. Instead, now I'm envisioning it that says, if you're not gathered with the followers of Jesus, you miss Jesus. I mean, it's a little bit more wordy and not quite as catchy, but that was the, the connection that I had there. I finally figured it out. Like, why am I thinking about this poster? But it's the idea that if you don't gather with the follower of Jesus, you miss Jesus. And so this is where I am going to share with you the point of this week's message. I'm coming right out and say it. This is the point of this week's message. We can experience relationship with the resurrected Jesus as we live in community with the body of Christ. Right? We can experience relationship with the resurrected Jesus as we live in community with the body of Christ. And of course, there's a literal meeting here. Um, Thomas was away from the group. He was away from the disciples, the other followers of Jesus, so he missed seeing Jesus. But there's a much more powerful meaning in this idea. Before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, to be with Jesus meant you physically had to go where Jesus was. The disciples, the Pharisees, other religious leaders, the crowds, they all followed Jesus from place to place to hear what he had to say to be healed, to have sins forgiven, right? You follow Jesus from place to place to be in his presence. But after the resurrection, to be present with Jesus meant to be present with the body of Christ, to be part of the body of Christ, to participate in the communal life of the people that Jesus had gathered around himself. And so in other places in Scripture, for example, Matthew 18 Jesus tells his followers that wherever two or three gather in his name, he is there with them, right? So to be present with Jesus is to be present with others, right? Uh, and another story that uh, isn't part of our, our Easter, uh, after Easter series this, this year, but is kind of in that same timeline, um, there was a couple on a road to Emmaus that walked with Jesus for a long way. They walked with the resurrected Jesus and they didn't recognize him until they sat down and had communion with him. They shared a meal with Jesus. And when they shared the meal with Jesus, they realized they were in the presence of Jesus. In, an, in another uh, passage of Scripture, Jesus told his disciples, he said, when you serve the poor and then you serve those with needs, that you are serving Jesus. That you can experience the presence of Jesus in serving those who have needs. So followers of Jesus engage Jesus, have relationship with Jesus as they gather together, as they share meals together, as they serve others together. And so we can experience relationship with the resurrected Jesus as we live in community with the body of Christ. And I am playing on the ambiguity of the phrase body of Christ, whether it's his physical body or what we call the church as the body of Christ. I am leaning heavily into that ambiguity. Uh, attempting to be a faithful, faithful follower of Jesus as an individual, all by yourself on an island, separated from others, is practically impossible. 
Jesus gives his followers so many commands and instructions on how to live. And almost all of them involve the phrase, one another, or point us into how do we live together in community with others. Jesus calls us into life in community with one another, with other people. The the Bible and other history books told us that, that the early Christians were easily identifiable to the world around them. They were easily identifiable to people that were outside of the church. And the distinctive mark of those early Christians was their love for one another. What an awesome thing to be a distinctive mark, right? That must be one of those Christian people. Look at how they love one another. We have, and when I say we, I don't mean first church here. I mean our Christian culture in the modern day has made Christianity a thing about a relationship between me and God alone. It's become this private thing, right? But our love for God should always push us into community as we seek to be faithful to God's command to love our neighbors. Jesus said it very bluntly at one point. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and follow my teachings. That's what he told his disciples. If you love me, do what I say. And his teaching, the things that he taught him to do, the things that he said, was how to live in community with others. And now at this point, it's very tempting as a, as a pastor um, to make this into a commercial for church activities or even to maybe make people feel a little guilty for not participating in church events and activities, right? Like this, that could be an easy transition here, like, well, you know, that's why you need to be in church on every Sunday, right? Um, I could go on a rant about the things in uh, the world that people choose to do instead of come to a church service, go into a mode of questioning people's priorities and all of that. But as a pastor, and I hope you understand what I'm, what I'm going to say here, my desire isn't to get more people to attend church activities. My calling, my desire, my, my passion is to help people experience life as part of the body of Christ. And those are two separate things, Right? I don't just want to get people sitting in pews, but I want people to experience the life of being part of the body of Christ. You can go to church and still not participate in the community of believers. You can watch Christian movies or listen to Christian music and still miss out on true Christian fellowship. You can watch church services, whether online or in person even, and still miss out on belonging to a local body of Christ in which we experience Jesus as we gather. And so my goal as a pastor is not to have more church activities or to get more people to attend church activities. My hope is for the church to live as a community of believers, to live as the body of Christ, and not just for an hour or two on a Sunday morning or maybe a little bit of time during a Wednesday night service or something, but to be the church every single day of the week. You can live a life in Christian fellowship and community even on days where there are no church activities scheduled. You can live a life in community even if the church doors aren't open. You can live as the body of Christ even if there isn't a pastor present with you or a church building involved. Right? You can live as part of the body of Christ even if there's not something on a calendar somewhere. 
but you can't do it alone. As I said a few moments ago, there's several one another commands that Jesus gave his followers. I'm going to share um, a pretty lengthy list of one another commands that either Jesus spoke or came from the New Testament, whether it be Paul or other authors in the New Testament. Um, and I'm in, admittedly saying this is going to be a, a little bit of a lengthy list. And it's probably going to be tedious by the time I'm done, but I want that to kind of be the point. I don't want anybody to miss the point today that Christian fellowship, Christian life is about doing life together. One another. Like, we can believe Jesus, things about Jesus, but it's the true calling on Christians is life in community. And so, I'm not even going to apologize that this is a long list. If you get tired of listening to me read scripture verses, then I... I'm not apologizing for it. This is within the Bible. So, um, A few one another commands. So Jesus says, love one another. He says that 16 separate times. He says, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality towards one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Almost done. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying one another. Do not slander one another. And the last one, do not grumble against one another. <sighs> Can you imagine how powerfully uh, life-giving and redemptive a community would be if it lived like this? Are you getting the idea here that the Christian life is not one that you can live in isolation or alone, but that being part of the body of Christ isn't just what do you do on an hour uh, on a Sunday morning, but how do you live and engage with other people around you every day of the week, regardless of where you are. Thomas wasn't with the other disciples that first Sunday, and he missed out on seeing Jesus. When he was with them the second Sunday, he experienced Jesus himself and confessed, My Lord, my God. Christians living in community reveal Jesus. We experience Jesus, and we proclaim Jesus to those who don't know him. A faithful Christian community is the most powerfully transformative, uh, redemptive, and holy thing on earth. Right, let me say that again. A faithful Christian community is the most powerfully transformative, redemptive, and holy thing on earth. And so well, we live in this world that tells us that being independent, that like we need to be this rugged individual um, which, by the way, is also leading us to uh, a, a 
epidemic of loneliness that is on proportions we've never seen before. But this, this rugged individual, this independent being, like this is what the world is trying to shape us into. The invitation for us to today is to look to life in community with others to shape our experiences with the resurrected Jesus. Commit to participating in the body of Christ, not just by attending church services or church activities, but by incorporating the very teachings of Jesus into your lives every day of the week. An important note here is to pay careful attention for those who, for whatever reason, cannot actively engage in the life of the church community. Right? So going to those who cannot come to us, right? Going to those who cannot, for whatever reason, actively move themselves into our community. Like, Jesus told his disciples that you're going to go into the world and reach those who cannot come to you. And so that's, again, I made the commercial for Outbound Communion. I'm not going to rerun that commercial again, but that's where that idea comes from. Going to those who cannot come to be a part of what we're doing here. Um, It involves, um, beyond Outbound Communion, we can do calls and write letters and, and visit people and share meals with one another, and pray for one another, right? So let's not forget, as things kind of get back to more normal here, um, let's not forget those who cannot come to us. But the more we seek to live daily as the body of Christ, the more we will see Jesus in our midst. And that's really the point of what I'm trying to get to with this message. I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, but I hope that you guys are getting the idea that to experience Jesus in our midst... Uh, requires us to be in community in fellowship with other believers. The more we seek to live daily as the body of Christ, the more we will see Jesus in our midst, the more we will experience the peace, joy, and love of Christ. In a world that seeks to divide and isolate, we can push back by committing to be the body of Christ in the world. And that is, uh, begins with our identity. And so our sermon series, Belong, Believe, Beloved. We're a group of people gathered around Jesus because of his love for us. We belong to that group because Jesus invited us into that group and made a way for us to be a part of his kingdom. And because of that, as Thomas demonstrates so perfectly this week, because he was part of this group, because regardless of of, uh, what was going on, he was part of this group. And because he was part of this group, he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And so he believed. And so we want to make sure we don't get the story upside down or backwards and say, well, if you believe, then you can belong, and then if you belong, then somebody will love you, but it's, it's the other way around. God loved. He says, you belong, and he invites us to believe. And so in response, just as we did last week, um, we're going to end our time of message with the Apostles' Creed. It'll be on the screens if I remember to do the slides correctly this week. Um, invite you to... Just read along on the screens, and then the worship team will lead us in a time of response when we're done with this. Uh, Read along this Apostles' Creed with me. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.